All right, so here we are, Book of Romans. Lots to study. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a lot in here. Um, one of the commentary series I, I, I like to draw from, a man named David Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, you know you're from England if you got like four names. You know, so, but uh, he's got eight volumes just on the book of Romans. And uh, just incredible, incredible insights. Uh, he wrote back in the late 40s, 50s. So uh, just tremendous insight. Many other commentaries I've I've looked at, of course, and um, some, all of them take almost a different approach, but the truth is the same. So there's many many different ways to draw the truth. I am I'm not trying to present that everything I say is the absolute only way to see these scriptures, but I'm going to present it as I studied it, as I believe that God has given it to us to be encouragement, because his word is designed for that. So uh, we're going to go through uh, as much of the notes as we can tonight and see how we do with this. Uh, we're going to do a little bit the first couple weeks of some introductory things so that we kind of get a good overview of the book of Romans because we study it as passages, we study it as verses, but Paul wrote it as a letter. So the first thing, your first homework assignment, you didn't know I was giving homework, did you? <laughs> Your first homework assignment is to read through the book of Romans as a letter, not as chapters and verses. So, maybe uh, the first day, read the first eight chapters. The next day, read the second, and then repeat that. I'd like you to do that every day for the next week. Okay? So... You can read half of it in a day. You can read all of it in a day. It depends on how much time you have for your devotional time. But don't stop and study. Don't, don't stop with the passages. Read it as a letter as if Paul was writing it to you because God did write it to you. And so it gives us a great overview, and it helps you to get the picture of the letter. Now, you can read it out loud if you want to, which is even better. Might drive your spouse or some others in your family crazy. But, uh, you know, didn't you read that yesterday? Yeah, I did. And I'm going to read it again today. So, but um, it, it really helps to grasp the meaning. Because when you read it out loud, not only do you see it and think through it so you can say it, but you also hear it, and it's a powerful tool. And if you've not done that with the Word of God before, you need to, All right? So let's start. Uh, go to Romans chapter 1. In verse 1, it's there at the top of your, of your pages. I, I like it when people bring Bibles, um, but I understand if what you have is a device. But most of the verses that I use, I do put on this paper because many of you don't bring a Bible, and so it's good to be able to look at the passage. I understand the device. I've got one. 
And uh, but there's more to it than that. And when you when you're using a device, all you see is a couple lines, a few verses. Depends on how big your print is, but you just see a few things, and you don't grasp the whole picture. And thank God for devices, and thank God for these this ability. But sometimes it's good to see what's there, and be able to to see something in in your Bible to maybe even outline, make a mark, write a note, and um, so. Okay, so let's read Romans chapter one, starting in uh, verse one down through verse seven. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he, that is God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you notice, that's one sentence. Again, this is, I talked about this before. We've talked about this in, um, in my teaching on prayer. Um, almost all of Paul's prayers, especially Ephesians, are long verses. And they're all one sentence. And the reason being, Paul liked that. It was, it's a mark of Paul. Uh, to write in these long sentences where things are tied together. Because our, our habit, and again, even as I was saying at the beginning with reading, our habit is to break things down into smaller ways, and then we don't catch all the interaction. The, we don't catch all of the, the relationship that goes in here. Now, Paul uses a grammatical tool called participles mostly to tie these things together and make these long sentences how many remember diagramming sentences in school all right i've got a book on order that is all of the bible verses in greek diagrammed i'm waiting for that to come anyway i'm not going to diagram in here i'm not going to do that but the purpose of that was to see the relationships and, and we, we, we miss that when in other translations they break this down into about four or five different verses. And, and that's good. I mean, it still says it's still the word of God and you've not added to it or taken away from it. It's just that you miss the complexity of what he's talking about. This is all one thought. Paul, a servant to those in Rome, Loved by God. Called to be saints. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful thought? They say, well, no, I am a saint. Well, there's more to it, or Paul wouldn't have written called to be saints. So there's something there for us. But all the rest of this, just 
the complexity of tying all these things together. Now, we're going to get into this over the next few weeks. We'll break this down even more so that we can see these, uh, these different relationships and all the things that he says. Yeah, it'll probably take me a couple weeks just to get through these opening seven verses because there's so much here, but we'll do it. So the question in my, uh, my notes there is, why Romans? Why Romans for us? Why did God feel that he needed this letter to be written through Paul? Why, why was this an important thing? What did God want to say through Romans that's not said somewhere else? Now, some of you have been with me in, in some of my studies in the Gospels. I, when I teach on the healing uh, ministry of Jesus, we, we use the Gospels in a harmony, like I did a week ago on Sunday, where you see the two passages together so that you can see what one passage says this, but the other doesn't, but this one says this, but the other one doesn't. And so you look at the Gospels in that harmony so that you can see everything that's there. But God didn't want just one Gospel for us. God, God used John to write a beautiful gospel at the end of the first century. But John's gospel was written with a purpose in mind. The growing threat of Gnosticism, super-spirituality, mixed with legalism and paganism, this Gnostic philosophy that was beginning to invade the church, God wanted John to write a gospel 30 years after the other apostles had written their gospels. So Paul's or John's is 30 years later. And his gospel explains eight miracles that Jesus did to show that he was the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah. Eight miracles that he points out. The other gospels have lots of miracles. John has eight. Each one of them used to show how Jesus is truly God and man. And that is the assault against Gnostic philosophy. Why did Paul write this one? Because God needed another gospel. Almost every commentary pickup uses this phrase. I tried to find out who came up with this first. I'd like to take credit, but it doesn't go to me. But many of the commentaries use this phrase, the gospel according to Paul. So we got the gospel according to Matthew, gospel according to Mark, which was actually Peter. Peter's writing, or Peter's words, Mark wrote them. The gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to John. Romans is the gospel according to Paul. Now the difference in that is that the other four gospels tell us what Jesus did. And so you get a look at what Jesus did. And again, I, I, I borrowed this from Rick Renner, um, who pointed out that as if you study it and put all the days together of Jesus' ministry, there's only 83 separate days of Jesus' ministry in the Gospels. 
out of three and a half years of ministry. Uh, and a lot of that, a lot of Gospels, spend time on just three days. His suffering, his death, his resurrection. And so, but the rest of the Gospels, just 83 of the days of Jesus' life. That's pretty amazing. And they all tell us what Jesus did. Each one is, is something he did in healing or ministering to people or, or speaking and sharing what he said, all of those things. But only a few times even does Jesus take time to explain what he was saying. Sometimes he taught a parable and just walked away. It's like, uh, you, you didn't explain that, Jesus. It's all right. You'll get it later. And so Jesus would teach that way sometimes and just move on. He would make statements and just move on. Because the Gospels were about what he did, what he said, what happened. But when we look at the epistles, and especially this first one, we find out not what Jesus did, but why. Why he did what he did, how he did what he did, and what does it mean. And so the epistles are filled with this helping us understand more about Jesus' life. Is that important, that we understand the why and the how and the what does it mean? Yeah, because as I was meditating on this, it just this is what came to me. Because if you just read the Gospels, people could interpret what Jesus did any way they wanted. And they could put this twist on it and that twist on it and those things. But God said, no, that's not going to be. And so he set men to write what we call letters. Paul being writing the most. Peter, James, Jude. Writing letters that help us understand what it means what Jesus did. Because they're not going to leave it open for everyone to interpret the Bible the way they want to, or interpret the life of Jesus. We were talking in, in staff the other day, and, and uh, how many watched one of the most horrible movies that was ever made, Noah? Oh, yeah. how, many, how many watched that? Yeah. Let me see your hands. Watched Noah. You see, that's when somebody takes what the Bible says and makes up what they want. And if the world was interpreting the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, they would tell it any way they wanted. They'd put their twist on it, which exactly is what they do. What do the Muslims do with the life of Jesus. Well, yeah, he was a good prophet, not really born of a virgin, you know, that because that doesn't happen. You know, he's not really the son of God because God doesn't have relations with women. Um, so they have to change things. Yeah, he died, but he didn't really die. He was kind of in a stupor. They gave him, you know, the, the what's the drug that they give the yeah, the hypnotic drug or whatever, and kind of knocked him out, and everybody thought he was dead, but he wasn't really dead, so that they could bring him back. 
um, because the steel is body thing that didn't work for anybody so they had to come up with something else and so and people after people have told stories Jesus Christ superstar their own interpretation if you haven't seen it don't <laughs> the life of Brian don't don't even it is it's vulgar it's 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 an affront to God how those people can live after making that kind of something that's the grace of God because he wants them to get saved but so God didn't leave that open for us so he gave us these epistles and the greatest of all of these is Romans not just in length but Romans reads almost like a systematic theology why the Bible what did God want to say what about God what about the Son what about the Spirit what does that mean to us what about man's sin what was God going to do about it what happens after God saves people? What does he do in their life? What is their future? All these things that, that we would think of in a series of books called a systematic theology. Paul answers so much of that right here in the book of Romans. So I put this down that uh, you can look at this verse, Romans 4, 23 through 25, speaking uh, concerning Abraham. It says, but the words, it was counted to him, that is Abraham, it was counted him, were not written for Abraham's sake alone, but for ours. So how many know the story? Abraham, it says, his faith was accounted to him as righteousness, right? So because he believed, God wrote it down. That's what the word accounted as. He wrote it down. It's a mathematical term. And it means in the ledger book. And so Abraham believed God, and God wrote down faith and gave him righteousness because righteousness comes by faith. And so God wrote it down and counted him righteous because of his faith. But it wasn't written for Abraham alone, but for our sake also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Delivered for our trespasses. Because of our sins, he was delivered over to death. And because of his resurrection, we have received justification or righteousness. Justification, righteousness are like cousins. And so... He was raised again for our justification. But, but here's where we need to clear up a little bit in that verse. The word for really means because of. It's, it's like saying a person goes to jail for murder. Well, they don't go there to get murder, do they? They go because they have committed murder. Well, Jesus was delivered up because of, do you see that? Because of our trespasses. We use the word for a lot of times in, in word so, so as to obtain something. For. And I went to the store for bread. Right? And so for a lot of times to us means in order to obtain. But here Jesus didn't die in order to obtain our trespasses. He died because of our trespasses. 
But then read the second part. These are parallels. And he was raised again for our justification. Hear me. He wasn't raised in order to obtain our justification. He was raised again, listen, because of our justification. Jesus' resurrection is the seal that God has made us righteous. Because his death removed the pain of the, the guilt of sin. And when God raised him from the dead, it was because God had declared us righteous. I could read you that from about four other passages, but that's not my subject right now. We'll do that when we get to Romans chapter 4. So this is, this is the theology of the book of Romans. In order to obtain, and what was obtained, and what are the results. And the book of Romans is all about that. There's so many deep truths in here. And some of these, I just, I just wrote down as I was thinking through the book of Romans, thinking, you know, as the different chapters and the different things. Point one, there is justification that is not obtained by the law. That there is a righteousness, Paul says, there is a righteousness that is not of the law. Thank God. Because though you could be declared righteous by the law, you could walk out of the temple and lose it. You got a problem with somebody down the street? Everything, you know, you, you just... You know you got to get rid of that, so you go to the temple, you make your sacrifice, you're pronounced forgiven, everything's good, you're happy, you walk out of the temple, walk through the courtyard, walk out the gate, going down the street, there he is. And it all comes back. And you turn around, and you walk back to the temple, <laughs> buy another lamb, make another sacrifice, get free, and hope you don't see him on your way home. Because the law didn't change anybody in here. It just kind of cleansed what was out here. It didn't get rid of the real stain of sin. It just covered it over. But there's a justification that is not out of the law. We'll find that toward the end of chapter 3. We find God has chosen faith, not works. Grace, not law. So faith and, and works are two things that are opposed to one another. Think of them almost like two sides of a coin. One side is faith, one side is works. If you got the work side, you can't have the faith side. Works means you have to do it yourself. Faith, you just believe. That makes it, that's too simple. That's that. What do people call it? Greasy grace? Yeah, that's a greasy grace. Yeah, all you have to do is believe. Yes, that's right. All you have to do is believe. Because God has made it a matter of faith, not works. And the other, the other part of that is grace, not law. Grace, not law. Because the law can't do it. What is Grace. Paul gives us a definition of grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 
In verse 9, Paul says that God said, my grace is sufficient. Listen to the rest of the verse. Everybody stops there. Don't stop there. My grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. What is grace? God's power made perfect in our weakness. So Paul said, you know what? I'm going to look for every weakness that I have. I'm going to find every weak place, every weak thing, and I'm going to receive the grace of God for the power I need over my weakness. So grace can be healing. Grace can be deliverance. Grace can be help. Grace can be peace that God gives you. Grace, of course, is our salvation. God's power made perfect in our weakness. Beautiful. We find, read Romans, we find we've been raised with Christ to walk in a new type of life. Anybody know what, where that is? That's a subject, but where is, where is that? Mm -hmm. In the book of Romans. It's in Romans. Romans chapter something between five and seven. Anybody got it? Six. Man, you guys are right on it. Romans chapter 6, we were raised with Christ to walk in the newness of life. Wow, so much there. Yeah, we're going to spend some time there. We also find the Spirit of God has set us free from the power of sin and death. Come on, you got this one. Romans chapter 8. Yay. Romans chapter 8. One person answered, all of you get the credit. What else do we have? God is working all things together for good to those who love him. Where's that? Romans 8. So we find these, these are, these are truths that are scattered through this book. This is just a handful that I threw down here. As we offer ourselves to him, he will transform our lives to his glorious purpose. It's a paraphrasing. Have we got that? Romans 12. Right. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove or demonstrate what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. We also have, through the transformed life, we can show true love to others. This is also in Romans chapter 12, the second part of it, where Paul says, you know, if, if we really are saved, then we can live this way. We can forgive people. We can love people as God loved them. And then finally, this one I put down there, that God has a glorious victory in our future that will be accomplished through us. Anybody know where that is? Romans 16. And my God shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Wow. Romans chapter 16. We were uh, at the bottom of your notes on page 1. These, these truths that we have, have seen here that are scattered through this book, they're familiar things to us. But we got to think about the fact that these are in the book of Romans. And Romans has so much to say to us. So what have we got here? The justification not obtained by the law. That God has chosen faith, not works. Grace, not law. We've been raised with Christ 
to walk in a newness of life? That the Spirit of God has set us free from the power of sin and death? How many, how many would say, that's, that's like one of my favorite verses. God is working all things together for good to those who love him. I, I, everybody's hand goes up on that one. Yep, yep. That as we offer ourselves to him, he transforms our life. Transforms us so that we might live to his glorious purpose. And then we find that through this transformed life, we can show the true love of God through us. You know, what the world needs us to show the love of God because that's not the way they think about God. They think God's mean. They think that God doesn't care. They think God's not involved. They set God aside. That whatever we say about God is just some fantasy, some idea, some... What did, what did one man say? Christianity is for weak people? Yep. There I am. Grace. The power of Christ for my weakness. And then finally, the God has a victory for us. And again, my God shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. That's a, that's a glorious promise. Because how many have just about had it with him? Yeah. It's like, well, I can't wait to see. All right. So as we look at this letter, I pulled some of these things out. Um, these are historical um, events in people's lives that were spurred by the study of the book of Romans. For me, one of the great verses and has been for me for many years is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's like, that's almost the entire gospel right there in just a couple verses. Simple statements that are filled with depth of meaning. And so, what I want you to do, this is your second assignment. Right, last week I gave you, the last lesson I gave you assignment, now I'm going to give you another one. All right, I want you to bring me a passage from the book of Romans that means something to you. Now, I may have already referred to it, and many of you may end up with the same one. You can send it to my email address, it's right there, jeffj at homechurchok.com. Or you can bring it on a paper next session. But I want a verse. I want to know what, what out of the book of Romans has hit you. You can add a short, short testimony. <laughs> brief comment. Because I will edit it. But later on in, this, in the course, I'm going to come back to these. I'm going to talk about them. These verses that have meant something to you and so you do that for me thank you very much now let's talk about a couple of of events here in the history of the church now i pulled these out of one of my commentaries 
uh, he was going through this subject, and it says, in the summer of A.D. 386. Now, that's a long time ago. All right. I know. I'm kind of old, but not that old. Didn't know him. Uh, in the summer of A.D. 386, Aurelius Augustinus, a native of Tugast in North Africa, and now for two years professor of rhetoric at Milan, sat weeping in the garden of his friend Olypius, almost persuaded to begin a new life, yet lacking the final resolution to break with the old. If you read his story, uh, he was just bound in alcohol and immorality. And the, the vulgarity of his life was beyond what you would even think. And yet he's a professor in, within the church because the universities at that time were part of the church. And as he sat, he heard a child singing in the neighbor's house, Tole, lege, tole, lege, which means in Latin, take up and read. Take up and read. Just so happened, picking up a scroll which lay at his friend's side, he let his eyes rest on the words, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. It just so happened that scroll was laying there at his friend's side. As he's thinking about what he's going to do, he hears a child say, take up and read, take up and read. I have no idea what the song was that this kid was singing, but got his attention to look down, there's a scroll, picks up the scroll, and what does he see as soon as he looks into the scroll? Romans 13. And here's his own words. No further would I read, nor had I any need. Instantly, at the end of that sentence, a clear light flooded my heart, and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. That was his doubt that he could live for God, that he could live the Christian life, that he could live a life that would glorify God. All of that's gone. What the church and the world owe to this influx of light which illuminated Augustine, St. Augustine. As he read these words of Paul, it's beyond our power to compute. A man who literally transformed the church and his influence continues August 1513 so a thousand years later Martin Luther Augustinian monk and professor of biblical theology at the University of Wittenberg began to deliver a course of lectures on the Psalms his mind at the time was preoccupied with the agonizing endeavor to find a gracious God he was struck by the prayer of Psalm 31, verse 1, In your righteousness deliver me. But how could God's righteousness deliver him? Was it not calculated to condemn the sinner and not to save him? In that day, the church in that time defined justification or righteousness as God's condemnation of sin. 
if the church said so, that's what everybody believed. And so to him, the word justification meant God was going to condemn. God was righteous, and you are not, and therefore you will be condemned. And the justification was nothing more than God pointing out your inability to live to his glory and therefore condemn you in your sin. That's the way the church interpreted righteousness and justification. So Luther hated that word. He hated it. Well, I would too if that's what it meant. But that's not what it means. And so he read this statement in the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed. How would he translate that? Righteousness of God? What would he translate that as? Judgment or condemnation. The condemnation of God is revealed through faith for faith. In other words, if you really believe the word of God, then you'll believe that you've been condemned. And that your, your good is nowhere close to what God demands of you. Therefore, you need to offer sacrifices, pay money, buy indulgences. You need to do all these things, do all these works somehow that God in his mercy would forgive you. When we were doing our ministry in Russia, one of the ladies was there. Her husband was murdered on the street right in front of the bank. Just, they just walked up and knifed him. We went back about a year later, not long after that happened, every day of the year, every day of the year, she had to go to the Orthodox Church. She had to light a candle every day for a year in order for her husband to get admitted to heaven. Hopelessness. What if I miss a day? You start back at one. And you start all over again. Can you imagine? And if that's the way people are interpreting, then they're hopeless. But see, Romans doesn't say it that way. So Luther's reading, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith, for faith, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Or, as we translate it, that was from the Latin, the just shall live by faith. Not the just shall be condemned. Not the just are falling under judgment. But the just will live through faith. And here's his own words. I had greatly longed to understand Paul's letter to the Romans. And nothing stood in my way but that one expression, the righteousness of God. The judgment. That's how he read it. The judgment of God. Because I took it to mean a righteousness whereby God is righteous and acts righteously in punishing the unrighteous. How you get that from that? Only through man's manipulation. Night and day. I pondered this passage. I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and mercy he justifies us by faith. He doesn't condemn us. He justifies us. He makes us righteous. 
Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway to heaven. Is it any wonder that this man was willing to take a stand so that other people could have the gospel? And then the last illustration, the evening of 24th of March, 1738, John Wesley went very unwillingly to a society in Aldergate Street in London. Now, a society was like a Bible club. All right, so they had these Bible clubs. They, they even referred to them as Holiness Club. And so they were there. Whitfield, George Whitfield, who would later great evangelist, preacher, revivalist uh, in, in the Americas, he was part of this whole thing. Um, Wesley's brother, Charles. Anyway, so he goes to this meeting. He didn't want to go. Because it's just his holiness stuff. It's just condemnation. It's like, I can't live up to this. Nothing is going to help me. Where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. So this, somebody was in there reading from this. And about a quarter before nine. <laughs> How specific. <laughs> Not only is it the 24th of March, 1738. It's about a quarter to nine, 845. Just about an hour from now. He records in his journey, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for my salvation. Not my works, not my abilities. And an assurance was given me that I had taken, that he had taken my sins away, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death the passage that the man was referring to as he's reading in uh, Luther's preface to Romans was from Romans 7 through Romans 8, verse 11. That critical moment in Wesley's life provided the spark which kindled the inextinguishable blaze of the 18th century evangelical revival. And that revival ultimately spread to the colonies in America and there to the world and so we have Methodism. And the Methodist Church evangelized the South. They were the first denomination to accept the African-American people. All of the slaves were accepted by the Methodist Church, not by most of the other churches. They evangelized the West. Don't, don't relate the Methodist Church under Wesley to the Methodist church that you might know today. It's not the same. Not the same. It's not even the same Methodist church that was when I was a boy and we would go to the Methodist church. So what am I saying? All of these things came, and how much more? And that's why I want to know what, what, what verse in Romans struck you? What verse out of Romans have you found that is one of those things that became a key to your life opened a door 
brought revelation, led you to a new place in Christ. Help you see something that, that you'd been longing for but had no idea that God had for you, yet there it is in Romans. God says, yeah, I'm going to do this. All of these things come to us through this amazing letter written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was not ashamed of this gospel. He saw it as the key. Listen to his words, Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the what? Power of God. The gospel is the power of... Is it any wonder that Augustine, Luther, Wesley were changed by reading the word of God? Why? Because the gospel is the what? Power of God unto salvation. You can chisel this message in stone. You could carve it in wood. You could print it on paper. You can put it on a screen, in digital pixels. And you know what? It changes people. Because if they believe what they read, the power of God transforms their life. And there's no greater letter that brings us about than the book of Romans. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The Jew first and also to the Greek. How many are glad that he didn't stop with to the Jew? And also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, faith to faith. We'll talk more about that. As it is written from the book of Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. And then, of course, Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes by hearing. That's why I want you to read the Bible out loud. Read it out loud. Do yourself a favor. And, by the way, if you've got other people in the house, them hearing it will be good for them, too. I've told this story before. I, you probably heard it. Many of you have heard it. Jonathan and I, I think it was my first trip to China. We were in this little lady's house. She was somewhere in her 80s. And uh, her house was in the town, but it was back behind all the other buildings. And you walk back there, and you, you think you walked through like three centuries of time. And suddenly we're back in the 16th century. And, and it was, it was unbe- unbelievable. And the poverty. And this little lady was the pastor. And she's about that high, no teeth, well, maybe a couple. She just laughed when she brought us in. Brought us in, first thing she did is she wanted to know if I wanted a cigarette. <laughs> I told her no, but if she wanted to, that was okay, so she did. Too poor to offer us even tea, so she offered us hot water, which I hoped had been boiled at least to 200 degrees you know so um we had the water and i was talking to her and wanted to give her a bible she'd she'd been a pastor for 40 years or so she didn't even have a bible i was amazed by that so i had one of the interpreters working with me a girl named summer and um 
and she's she's working with me and so I said I want to give you this Bible and and I, I did and she was very happy you could see the smile on her face and everything was was good and finally she started laughing and then she said something to the interpreter and she told me <laughs> laughing she said she said thank you for the Bible but I can't read God, through me, just took over the conversation. And I said, well, can your children read? Yes. Your grandchildren? Yes. Then you give them this Bible and have them read it to you. Oh, yes. And you know what? That means the kids have to hear it, too. And everybody in the house has to hear it. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing comes through the Word of God. And so, this is what God has presented to us. This book of Romans. So, so deep. Yeah, it is. And you can get Bible studies that are, you know, this thick. Maybe 200 pages. And you can get six volumes. <laughs> and you say, how can that all come from the same book? Because it depends on how deeply you want to look. And how many other things that you find. Because my big challenge as I go through books and teachings is to just stay in that book and not go to every place that the book might mention. So I go on rabbit trails. Do you go on rabbit trails in your study? Yeah, I do too. But I catch the rabbit. That's the important thing. So it's okay if you go on a rabbit trail as long as you get the rabbit. And then you come back. So, you know, we're going to look at this letter. I'm going to mostly be concentrating on the statements that are in this book, the, the miraculous words that God has given to Paul. I can't think of a better person that God would choose to communicate this gospel than a man who is so eloquent and able to understand the scriptures. And the Apostle Paul, and we'll find a few of these passages uh, even as we go through, if, if there wasn't a Greek word for what Paul wanted to say, he made one. So he would combine other Greek words together to make words that were original for him. And no one else in the New Testament did that. It's because there wasn't another way to say it. God put something in his heart to say. And when we realize that these, these words that Paul wrote, they're not coming from his head. They're coming from the Spirit of God. But God's using Paul's head. He's using the language, the education. They're the letters... I don't want to say anything that the other letters are less or less anointed or less important. Every word of God is important. And we read that verse, I, I skipped over it earlier, but it says every scripture is given by God, right? Every scripture comes by inspiration from God. Well, you need to read that a little bit different. It's not just every. The Greek word means each and every. So every individual 
and all of them together are given by inspiration and are, what's the next word? Everybody say it. Profitable. The words are given and are profitable. That means they will do something for you. Now, every one of us could say, how many have found a passage of Scripture that's like, I don't understand this? Let me see your hand. You found a passage that's like, I, I, I don't get this. I've got passages I have looked at for years. I'm going to get the understanding. I'm not going to set it aside because there's profit in there. I just need to figure out what it is. And I'm going to keep it going on. I have got verses that have rolled around in me. Pastor Bob and I used to, once in a while, he would come down to my office, open the races, I got it. I thought, okay, what? You know, and he had, he and I had talked about a verse, talked about something, couldn't see it, and he would come in and say, I got it, I see it. Or the other way around, I would go into his office and say, I found this, and there it is. And he's like, that's what I've been looking for. And then he would preach it or write it in a book and (laughs) mention me. It's okay. Because it's not my words, it's God's words. It's God's words. And I would dare say that each one of us has parts of our life that the book of Romans has transformed. Because it says to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that renewing of our mind has to come from the Word of God. It has to come from what God is revealing, His thoughts, His His purposes. Yes, I know that the early church didn't have a New Testament to read like what we have. But you'll be amazed as I get into some of the next part here how early that was available to people. Though within just a few years of Paul, this letter is being circulated, copied by hand, sent to someone else. They copy it. They send it to someone else. Until ultimately they had whole whole buildings full of monks who were dedicated to nothing but copying the scriptures, rewriting them, writing them. Jonathan took part with a group in China. And um, in this one part of China, I I don't remember seeing it in any other parts of China I went to, but people had dedicated themselves to writing the entire Bible. And they would maybe spend a year writing the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and put it together and then they would put them in a cabinet and store them. And then some of them would start on another one. And so Jonathan took up that challenge and you wrote the the entire New Testament? No, I actually wrote Romans. You did Romans? All right. And, And to write it down now if I wrote it you wouldn't be able to read it that's my problem but you say well what's the purpose in that well number one it helped them whoever's writing it but what about the fact that you might be under a government who says we're going to get rid of all the Bibles yeah but we've got 
handwritten copies. Is that amazing? Well, that's the same thing they did in the New Testament. And, and Romans was one of the main letters that they felt like they needed to get this into the hands of the people. Why? Because there's so much stability that is brought. As I said already, this is a doctrinal statement. It's a systematic theology explaining why, how, and what it means that Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead and has given us salvation. Amen? So we'll take up right here in our next session. Let me pray.